Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking out of the book of Ephesians. We're talking about spiritual warfare and that we are in a spiritual battle. And uh, uh, we've been all, last week we were away, and the week before that was the day before Thanksgiving, and we took a time to give testimony to the good things that God's done in our lives. So it's been several weeks since we've been in this. So we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the deceits or the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because that's what the battle, that's the battle that we're in, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And believe me, we're in that day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot or put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you may be, will, be, will be able, not may be able, will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all manner of prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. When we looked at that, we've begun to notice several things that are important for this in the Scripture. First of all, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. Some of the things that, are, that go on in your life, some of the challenges and difficulties that you have are caused by you, just stupid things we do. Some of the things we know we do that are stupid, that are that just they're wrong, and sometimes we don't know we're doing it. You'll learn as we go on that the words of your mouth are so important. And some of the openings that you've given to Satan in your life have come from your own mouth because he listens to you. He can't read your mind, but he can listen to your words. And we often empower him and embolden him by just the things that we say. Oh, I can't hang on much longer. Uh, guess what? That message goes off on hell, and there's assignment set for you. Someone, demon, is set to discourage you because you've just told them that you can't hold out any longer. So we need to speak the Word of God. So we found out that we are in a war, and it's so important to realize that you're in a battle because otherwise you're just a sitting duck for whatever the enemy wants to do. And we're raised in a part of the nation, in a part of the world, where we like to think of ourselves in this part of the world as being somewhat sophisticated, intellectual, Boston providence, they're bastions of education, but it's interesting, this is the area that was in the latest survey was determined to be the most unbiblical of all the nation. And so with all our intelligence, all our education, we're stupid. I'd love to give you a more sophisticated word for it, but spiritually, we are ignorant. And Satan loves to keep you ignorant because then you don't know who you're fighting, you don't even know you're in a war, he's just stealing from you. And so the first thing we discovered is we are in a battle, and the battle is a spiritual battle. It's not a natural battle. That means that we're fighting an enemy that's a spiritual enemy. It's not an enemy that you can see with your eyes. And the Word of God tells us this, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers or those with an authority in heavenly places. And that's not heaven where God lives. That's the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. And we've looked at this before. We're not going to spend a lot of time going over this, but we've seen the Scriptures teach us that Satan right now is the God over this earth. God established man, that first man is the God of this earth, and he turned and gave that over to Satan, and then Jesus was sent to win it back. So for those of us in Christ, he's, Satan is not our God, Jesus is our Lord, but we are living in a foreign territory because we're here on an assignment. That means we have an enemy. We have an enemy, and the other thing we learned is he spite, fights with weapons that are, that are carnal. They are, they are of the flesh. It's anger, it's jealousy, it's intimidation, it's all the stuff that makes you feel beaten down, the things when you get riled up and want to get angry at somebody, or you even get angry at yourself. Those are part of his spiritual weapon, bag of weapons. But then we saw that the weapons that God's given us, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. But the key of all of this has been verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And there are many of you tonight and some that are not here tonight that are getting worn down in this battle. And the reason is you're trying to fight in your own strength. You're trying to fight with your own determination, your own willpower, in your own flesh. 
and the weapons that God has given us are strong through him for the pulling down of strongholds, strong through him for overcoming him because we'll learn the word of God teaches us that God has already defeated our enemy in the spirit realm. And we need to learn how to operate in that victory that he has already won for us. And so we're looking at this armor. We spent two years ago, we did a Wednesday night series for quite a while on the armor of God where we spent much more time and detail on the particular aspects of the armor. But we're going over them at least to highlight them because these weapons that are given here in this part, they are defensive weapons. And the, uh, the example that Paul is using here is of a Roman soldier going into battle. He knew who his enemy was. He could see that enemy. And therefore, he prepared himself, first of all, to be able to win in the battle, he had to make sure he protected his body because if his body was injured, if he were wounded, then that's going to affect his ability to overcome the enemy. And in fact, if the worst happens, he's killed. Obviously, he's not going to defeat his enemy. So the first most important thing a soldier needs to do is to protect himself, protect the vital parts of his body so that even if he is injured, it's not a fatal injury, it's not a debilitating injury. And, the, and it says here to put on the whole armor of God. And I've seen studies where people go through and talk about the armor and they'll teach you to get up in the morning and you put on the belt of truth and you put on the breastplate, you put these things on. And that's nice as a reminder, but that's not very practical. When you're in the midst of some spiritual warfare, it doesn't do any good to pick up a plastic piece of armor and put it on your chest or some exercise like that. What's he talking about here? He says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So the, what God is telling us is what God has given himself to us, and he will fight that spiritual battle for, him, for us, but we have to put him on. We have to step into who he is. He's already stepped into us. There are a number of places where the Apostle Paul says, put on Christ. Well, you can only put on something you have. When I went to get ready tonight, I went into my closet and I put this suit on. I didn't, do it, I didn't put it on the closet, but I took it out of the closet and then I put it on. But I couldn't put it on if I didn't already own it, if it were not mine. So when, God, when Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul says, put Christ on, he's, no, he's saying you already have him. The reason you're being defeated is you haven't put him on. And that's what God's saying here is, put me on, I'll defend you. And so these are, these are aspects of God and who aspects of himself that he's given to us already. They belong to us in him, in Christ. And so we just need to put these on instead of trying to fight back with our own willpower and our own strength. And we've already looked at several of these. First thing we looked at was to put on the, the belt of truth. And, that, and the key to that is walking in truth because God is truth. And everything God does is truth. Truth, And so in order to put him on, in order for his power to be working through us, to defend us, we have to walk in truth. We saw that Satan deals in partial truths, which are shadows. He says to, be, to defend yourself or to stand against the wiles or the deceits of the devil. So Satan uses deceit. He uses the shadow of things, something that's close to the truth, but it's not all truth. So as we stand in close openness before God and before ourselves, then God is able to defend us. But when we start defending ourselves by shading the truth a little bit here and adjusting the facts a little bit here, then we're defending ourselves and God can't defend us. And I've learned through my 36 years or so walk with the Lord, he does a much better job of defending me than I do myself. And then we look last time at this breastplate of righteousness, which has two sides to it. The outward side is the side that we project. It's the side where we walk in the righteousness that's been given to us. Uh, James chapter 5, which we studied earlier this year, says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You may read that and say, yeah, well, I don't stand a chance because I don't live very righteously. But Christ has given us his righteousness. And we spent time and looked at that. Christ has given us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin. That's Christ who did not commit a sin he became, he didn't commit a sin, he took sin on himself so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we learn that when you 
came to Christ and you were joined to him, you were joined to his righteousness. You can put his righteousness on that he earned. And when you're clothed in his righteousness from the outside, you look just as righteous as he does. And so from the outwardly, when we put on that breastplate of righteousness, it protects the heart, the part of you that's vulnerable, the part of us that can get discouraged. And so when we put on that breastplate, we're simply taking the Word of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21 and all the other scriptures that say we've been made righteous in Christ. And I put those on and I simply say, I don't feel it, I don't always act it, but in God's eyes, I've been made righteous in Christ. And we're going to see when we get to the shield of faith why that's so important. It's not because I feel righteous. It's not because I've even acted righteous today. It's not righteous in me. It's I've been given as a free gift because he paid for it to give me his righteousness. So when I put that righteousness on, it's not mine. I didn't earn it, but it was given to me. And therefore, I can wear it boldly because it's his righteousness. And that's what I look like in the spirit realm from the outside. But then we saw the other side of that armor is the inside. I've got to begin to act righteous. That doesn't mean I'll ever be perfect. Righteous in this sense does not mean perfect. It means to begin to act like Christ, act like who we are. And when we're doing that, this, this, this uh, uh, breastplate protects our heart from being condemned. And so that's what we've looked at so far. Now we're going to pick and look at the next part of this. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on, oh, verse, excuse me, verse 15, and having shod, that's an old English word for put on, put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now I've heard this taught, that what that's saying is, this part of the armor is being ready to share the gospel. And we should be ready to share the gospel. We're going to spend most of next year talking about that. But that's not what that word preparation means. The word preparation doesn't mean to go. It means to be founded or grounded in or settled in, set in the gospel of peace. And this is referring now to the shoes that a Roman soldier would put on. The shoes that a Roman soldier would put on. Would you show that first slide, that first picture? Dim the lights just a little bit. I pulled off the internet this picture, and there are a number of others that I found. And what they would do, keep this in, in, in mind, that a Roman soldier is fighting a hand-to-hand -hand combat. And when he may be standing on mud, he may be standing on grass. And the most difficult thing when you're fighting against an opponent who's trying to kill you, knock you down, is the most important thing is to make sure your feet don't slip. Have you ever seen a football game where, where the grass was wet or was muddy and the player's in the open field and he goes to make this cut and his feet go out from underneath him? Nobody was around to tackle him. He lost his footing. So what do they do? What do football players do? Put on their feet. They put shoes with cleats on them that look like that. And it's so when you're standing against an opponent the one thing you can't afford to do is have your feet slip out from underneath you. You can, be, you can be enmeshed in solid lead from the top of your head to the tip of your toes and totally invulnerable, except if you get your feet knocked out from underneath you, you're still going to lose. So it's important to have as the foundation in your standing in this battle to know that, you're, that what you're standing on isn't going to slip out from underneath you. You can turn that off now and bring the lights back up. So that's the image that the Apostle Paul is using here. Having your feet, on your feet, shoes that are solid or, 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 or is a solid foundation so that you will not slip while you're in this battle. Everybody have a good grasp on that right now? So the, the, in, as I understand it, I was never in played a football, but, but the, the, the ones that they give the strongest cleats to are the linemen because they're in literally hand-to-hand -hand combat with the guy on the other side, the defender who's trying to get at their quarterback and kill him. 
And so these linemen's job is to protect him by standing firm, and they've got to, you ever see them dig in like this? They've got to have make sure that their footing, they could wear three, weigh 390 pounds. But if their feet slip, if they're wearing sneakers, they're, they're not, it doesn't matter how much they weigh, because 390 pounds on the ground is no different than 190 pounds on the ground. It still slipped out from underneath them. So it's so vital, in, whether you're in football or you're a Roman soldier, to know that your feet aren't going to slip because you're counting on those feet because you're standing on them to push off in this fight or this battle that you're in. And that's the image that the Apostle Paul is using here. Now, when it comes to spiritual warfare, what are those cleats? What is it that digs us in so that we don't slip? And what is it that our enemy wants to have caused us to slip out from underneath us? It's not your physical feet. It's something that you stand on every day. It's something that you stand on when you go to pray. It's something that you stand on when you go to sing worship to him. It's something you stand on when you come to church. It's the difference between whether you receive what God has for you or whether you don't receive what God has for you. And what is that? Having put on your feet the foundation or the solid establishment of the gospel of peace. Now, don't get up on the word gospel. That's just an old English word for good news. The good news of peace. So what we're going to look at tonight, and we may get into the, into the shield, what we're going to look at tonight is how does the gospel of peace perform the same function for us spiritually that those cleats perform for those soldiers physically in battle? How can, those, the, how can the good news of peace provide, keep us from slipping when we're in battle with the enemy? Why is it that he goes after our peace? Why is peace so critical? Peace with God, and that's what we're talking about, The peace he's talking about here is not peace with yourself. It's not even peace with your neighbor, although those are important. It's peace with God, your own personal peace with God. That is our only sure footing and our stand against Satan's tax. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. This is the Christmas season, one of the famous... Parts of the Christmas story is in Luke chapter 2. And this is talking about the birth of the Christ. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel, this is the angel Gabriel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. I've heard that misquoted so many times of peace and peace among men. That's not what it says. The birth of God's son in that manger was heralded and announced by angels declaring why he came. He came to bring peace from God towards men. Well, why was there a need for there to be peace from God's side towards men? Because we'd all rebelled against Him. This is one of the things we're going to look at this year. Because to understand the gospel, you have to understand God's righteousness. You have to understand who God is. God is an absolutely holy being. Holiness comes from Him. There is no unrighteousness in Him. God, we have this concept, we talked about this a few weeks ago, we have this image, I think, in our mind that what God's grace means is he somehow decided to look the other way. He somehow decided to, well, I understand you're just human, Jerry. I can understand, you know, so I, you know, because I'm gracious to you, I'm going to understand, you know, I know you're trying hard. I'll give you credit for trying hard, but, but you know, I'm a, I'm a gracious God, so I'm going to give you a little bit of slack. That's not what it means. That's not what the Bible teaches it means. God is absolutely holy. And absolute means there is no unholiness in him. 
So if God ever excuses one incident of unholiness, he now is unholy himself. If God ever excuses one act, one sin, if he ever excuses one sin just by excusing it, he's no longer holy. He's now participated in a sin. And then we're all in trouble because he's no longer God. So what does he do? How can a God who is angry at unrighteousness, because in 2 Thessalonians talks about the wrath of God that will be poured out on those that reject Christ. The wrath of God. I thought God was loving and, you know, He is. And we have trouble with our minds, you know, reconciling this God of anger that we see in the Old Testament with this God of love and joy and peace in the New Testament. How can they be reconciled? The only way they're reconciled is through the cross. God hates sin. God's anger is poured out on sin. But because God loves us, He poured that anger out on His Son and not on you and me. But He poured it out. He held nothing back. He poured out His wrath and His anger at the rebellion yours and mine and all the earth. He poured it all out. He vented it all out on His Son on the cross. That's how much He loves you. That's how much you matter to Him. That's how you reconcile His anger and His righteousness with His love and His grace and mercy. It's not because He bends His righteousness. It's because He satisfied it on the cross. And anything short of that is not the gospel. Anything short of that keeps us from fully receiving the love of God that He's shown to us. And so, why do we need peace with God? Because we've all rebelled against Him. We've all been in rebellion against Him. We've all lived a life of sin. Not, you may not have committed sins like others have, but the fact that you've done things, the fact that you have your own self-will, the fact that you still are, get envious and jealous, the fact that all of that stuff is still in our flesh, that's sin in God's eyes. That's sin in God's eyes. And sin destroys the relationship with righteousness. And so God has to bring peace and so he announces with these angels that this son that's been born this day in Bethlehem, this son is the means by which God is going to restore, is going to bring peace in his relationship with, with mankind. It's the announcement of peace. Let's look at another scripture. Let's go over to Romans chapter 5. There are many we could look at. We're looking at what this what the peace is so that we don't slip, so we don't get discouraged, so that we don't lose our peace. What's this peace based on? It's not based on how you feel. Peace, biblical peace is not an emotion. Biblical peace is a state of being that God has declared peace between you and Him. Now, you may not have declared peace with God, but God's declared peace with you through the cross. Through the cross. Never forget, it's through the cross. In Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul explains this righteousness that I just walked you through briefly, but he goes into it in detail. Chapter 1 basically says that, that all of us have chosen to reject God and do our own thing. And chapter 2 says, if you don't think you have, when you judge other people, you just judge yourself. <laughs> and Romans chapter 3 says, we've all sinned, just in case you think you slipped through chapter 1 and 2 somehow safely. <laughs> chapter 3 says, ah, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, that's the key. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Not the glory of the best person you've ever known. 
not the glory of some, some of your mother or your mother-in-law, not the, not the glory of, you know, of, of Paul or Peter or James or John. We've fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. But he goes on to explain that's what qualifies us for his grace. And then he explains that that grace is received only one way, by faith. And then in chapter 4, he explains to you what this faith is like by using Abraham as an example of the father of our faith. And we're not going to take the time to go through it. But having come to the end of that, he gives these marvelous words. Verse 23 of Romans 4 says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that his righteousness was imputed to him, but for us also it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore having been justified, made right with God, by faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been made just, that just means just as if you'd never sinned. When you chose to receive Christ as your substitute for God's judgment, when you chose to receive Christ as your substitute for God's judgment, you put your faith in the method of righteousness that God had ordained. And when you did that, the Bible says, God took Christ's righteousness and imputed it to you. Just gave it to you. The word impute means He just gave it to you even though you didn't deserve it. He just gave it to you. And you receive that by faith, not by feeling just as an act of your will, I receive that gift by faith. When you do that, chapter 5 says that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have it now. Not when you get to heaven. You have peace with God now. What does that mean to have peace with God? He's not angry at you. He doesn't have a grudge against you. He's not keeping a list and checking it twice and going to find out who's naughty and nice. There was a list against you. We'll come back here. Let's go over to Colossians. There was a list against you of offenses. Colossians 2.13 And you, being dead in your trespasses. What dead means is you were already judged. Tried, convicted, and executed in God's mind for your sins, dead in your transgression, trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That just means you were not in covenant with Him. He has made alive together with Him, with Christ, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out, that word means eradicated, eradicated the handwriting of requirements or charges that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way. And where did he take it? Having nailed it to the cross. So the list of offenses that were against you, that you deserved, every sin, every thought, every word, every act that was contrary and dishonoring to God, it took his name in vain. Oh, I never swore and used his name in vain. When you just used it loosely. In vain doesn't mean swearing. In vain means with no heart or intent behind it. When you just said, oh God, that's in vain. Every one of those was listed against you. 
That's why the psalmist said, if God were counting our offenses, who could stand? They're all there listed. And we were dead, convicted. In God's mind, ready for execution. But God. Being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2 says. Because of the great love with which He loved us. When we were dead in our sins and transgressions made us alive together with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly places. But in the process, He had to deal with that list of charges. That's what stole our peace. How can I go to sleep at night when I know that I may not wake up in the morning and i got to face all this list of charges against me? All the things that I've said wrong, thought wrong, and done wrong not in the world's eyes, by God's standard of His holiness. How can I sleep at night? How can I have peace when I know that I'm waiting to face a judge who has a long list of completely accurate charges against me? How can I come and talk to a God who when He looks at me, knows me better than I do? How can I have confidence that when I come to church to raise my hands and worship God, He doesn't look down on me and says, yeah, but I know what you were like on the way to church. I'm not looking at anybody. <laughs> I know the thoughts going through your mind right now. And He does, you know. You've heard me tell the story of when we were still in Bible school and we were attending what was a small group that we had then. And, and, and the leader was, we started out by standing around in a circle and singing worship songs to God. And I'm standing there and I'm singing and this lady next to me, oh my goodness. I'd rather have heard fingernails going down a blackboard than what she was singing. Oh, it was so off tune and she was bold about it. She was just letting it all out. And oh, I was so distracting. It's like, oh, yeah. I said, I was thinking, I didn't say a word. I mean, Lord, I love you, Jesus. But inside my mind was saying, God, that sounds horrible. And I've never heard any clearer God's voice speaking to me. Saying, say, my son, it was stern. It sounds beautiful to me. Because I hear her heart. Now let's talk about how you sound to me. And I don't want to go any further with that. He knew what was going on inside of me, even though outwardly, I was singing with all my heart, just, oh, God, I love you, whatever the song was at the time. But he saw inside of me, how can we have confidence and peace? How can we have peace to stand against the accuser of the brethren? Who, when you're trying to fight in this battle, says, yeah, but you know what you were thinking yesterday? I saw you lose your temper. Nobody else saw it, but I saw you get mad. I saw, heard those words come out of your mouth that you said you'd never say again. And I got them written down against you. How am I going to stand against an bre- accuser of the brethren who knows some of these charges and that they're real? How am I going to stand against him with any kind of confidence? How can I not have my feet slip out from underneath me when I'm trying to wield the sword of the Spirit or stand against him in truth? How can I do that when he knows that the very foundation on which I stand in is slippery and shaky? Oh, I never thought of that. Because the nails that stick out of the bottom of those shoes are the nails that were driven in the cross. The nails that have blood on them. The blood of Jesus. The spikes that are in my shoes have blood on them. Not my blood, but the blood of the one that paid for my peace. The blood of the one that took those charges and with his own blood, he eradicated them. He wiped them out. That eradicate means there's no record. It's not like they're crossed out so you can go and read what they were. That word wiped out in Greek means it is as if you poured acid over it. There's no record of it anymore. So Satan tries to pull it up to God's eyes. He can't read it because all he sees is blood. All he sees across that chart against you is blood dripping down over it. 
And as that blood comes down over it, it wipes out and eradicates everything you've done. And Satan wants to say, but that's not fair. But God looks at it through the blood. Through the blood. Through the blood of the cross. Through the blood of the cross. We have peace. We have peace with God. God's not angry at you. He was angry. But he satisfied his anger on that cross so he could have peace with you. He wasn't tricked into it. He wasn't caught and had to do this. He wanted to do this so he could have peace with you. So he knew you could have confidence coming before him. Confidence to come to your father who loves you. Be open and honest and real about where you are and what you're going through. Open and honest because he's not angry. He's made peace with you. Now the question is, have we made peace with him? Are we angry at him? Are we holding back at him? When you begin to see what he's done so that he can have peace with us, It's not hard to let go of anything else. Let's look at another scripture. Acts chapter 10. Let's start in verse 34. When Peter opened his mouth, he's preaching to Cornelius, the first Gentile believer. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Preaching through Christ, the word preaching just means declaring through Christ peace to mankind. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, let's go to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. New creation, that literally means a new species of being that's never existed before. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God. Those new things are of God. Who has, who has, has, not will, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Who has, the word reconciled means bring back into relationship who's reconciled himself. You get a, a, in a marriage where there's strife or there's, uh, there's, there, there, there's a divorce or some split up. And what you want to do is the goal is to bring them back to be reconciled to each other, restored back into a harmonious relationship. The word peace, it's interesting. The Greek word peace, irene, means to take something that's been ripped apart and to weave it back together to be a whole again. So the word peace implies a wholeness. It implies different parts being put back to where they belong again, back in that right relationship with each other. And that implies in this context that that sin ripped us away from our Creator. The Creator who made us to be in union with Him and fellowship with Him, to enjoy us and to be one with each other, that sin ripped us away from Him, tore us as if a limb were torn out apart from him. That's why Jesus talks in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, his prayer in verse 17 about being made one, being made one, being joined back into that union. You understand when you receive Christ, you don't just receive a gift, you receive him. The Bible says you're joined to him. If any man be in Christ, not with him, in him, joined to him. 
I just quoted a few minutes ago out of Ephesians chapter 2 that, that we raised up to be seated with him in heavenly places. That's not next to him. It's in him. All the promises of God that are so powerful in the New Testament are all because we are in him. Joined, connected back to him. That's what the word peace means. It means rewoven back together again of what's been torn apart. That's what reconcile means. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, of telling the world that he's been reconciled to them. Now, they've got to receive the reconciliation. But from God's side, he's not angry. I mean, how, this is what keeps many people away. They're afraid God's going to beat them with a stick. And this is what religion does. It teaches us that God's angry at us, that if you step out of line... He's going to hit you with the big ruler in the sky. Some of you were hit with wooden rulers. God's got a big ruler to hit you with. And, and so how are we going to come and worship a God like that? How are we going to come and love a God like that? We may serve him, but out of the wrong kind of fear, fear of getting hit, fear of getting in trouble, fear of not making heaven, fear of something. But the problem is when we serve him with that heart, that's what we communicate to other people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why would he do this if he doesn't love us? Why would he do this? He had to satisfy his wrath and anger. But why would he do that if he doesn't love us and want us? Why would he pay such a price if he doesn't want us to have confidence to come to him? Just as you are. Confidence to come. Not confidence in yourself. Confidence in what he's done so that the way's open to come. Let's go over to... I wasn't planning to go into this, but let's go over to Hebrews. Peace with God. So important. And Satan is after your peace. Verse 14, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us after he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, said the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart and in their minds I will write them. And he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there's remission of those things, there's no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the presence of God, why? By or through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from a consciousness of evil, and our bodies washed with pure water. He did all this so we can come in the midst of this battle and stand with confidence that God's not angry at us. Whatever it is you're fighting, whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever that warfare is in your life right now, it may be fighting for, for spiritually for children or grandchildren. It may be fighting for your health. It may be fighting just you don't know what it is, discouragement. It may be fighting all kinds of things out there what, that are coming at you. You may not even know where they're coming from. But if you don't know that you've got God's at peace with you, now if you've committed a sin that you know you've committed and you know things aren't right and your heart's can, then you, there's a real simple way to deal with it. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's why Jesus said when he washed the disciples' feet and Peter says, you know, Lord, not, don't do this, you know, 
I should be washing your feet, basically saying. He said, well, if, if I don't wash you, you have no place with me. And Peter said, whoa, well, then give me a bath. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, once you've already been bathed, you're clean. And I have, and you are clean, he said, through my word. So what's the washing the feet about? Because in the course of walking around in life, especially in those streets which were mainly dirt, and they had open sandals, their feet would get dusty or dirty. So they would come into a household, and the lowest slave was assigned the job of washing their feet to wash the dirt and dust off their feet. And so in the course of life, sometimes we step in dirt and dust. We get something on ourselves because we're still not all there yet. And isn't it nice to know that the master still will wash your feet? Isn't it nice to know when you come to him and said, I really didn't want to do it. I, I determined not to, but I, I said it anyway, and I'm, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That he's faithful and just to forgive us and to wash your feet and cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that you can still have peace, still have peace, still have peace, still have peace. So one of the things we know that Satan's after is to try to steal your peace. He can't steal it because God's the one that gave it. Let's look in quickly in um, let's look in, I think it's John. Well, go to John uh, 16.33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In him we have peace. And elsewhere in here, he says, my peace I give you. Not that the world gives you, but my peace. So in him, it's, and this is what these scriptures teach us. We have no peace with God apart from Christ. It's always in him. He spoke, we read in Acts 10. He spoke to Israel, said, I'm speaking peace to you through Jesus Christ. He is our peace. Because he's what stands between us and God. He's what allows us righteous God to be at peace with you and me when we're not always so righteous. But he has given us his peace. His peace. His peace. His peace. So peace is very important in spiritual warfare. So when you get up in the morning, one of the things you need to do it's not necessarily, you know, pretend you're putting shoes on, but check your, 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 check your heart and see whether you're agitated and pray until you get to that place of peace. Just talk to the Lord about where you are. Say, I don't know why, Lord, I got up this morning, I'm, I'm agitated this morning, but I don't want to be. But I believe what your word says, that you're not angry at me. The world may be angry at me, but you're not angry at me. My mother-in-law may be angry at me. My kids may be yelling at me, but you're not angry at me. In Christ, I have peace with you, and you love me. And if I have you today, I can face anything. If I have you, what does anybody else think? That's what Romans 8 says. God's for us. If God's for you. If God's for you. If God's for you. And boy, we've seen tonight how for us he is. If God's for us, who can be against us? The only other one's Christ Jesus, and Romans says that he died for us. And he was raised up, and he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So he won't be against us. Who else is there that counts?
But Satan's the accuser of the brethren. And so what he'll try to do is to take your faults, your weaknesses, he'll try to condemn you to get your footing to be shaky. And that's why by faith we've got to come back to these kind of scriptures. Say, it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I've done. I know that I have peace with God through Christ Jesus. God's not angry at me. I may feel as if he is because we're so often led by our feelings, but my feelings are wrong. The word of God says he's not angry with me. And that's going to lead us next week into the shield of faith, which is how we apply all these things when we don't feel them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word because your word brings peace. Sometimes your word brings correction. Sometimes your spirit brings correction. But even then it brings peace because it restores us back into that right place with you. And so, Father, as we prepare to end tonight, we thank you. We thank you tonight, Father, for how much you've loved us. We ask you to continue to open the eyes of our understanding that we would see indeed the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. I pray now for everyone that's here, Lord, that may be struggling with peace. There's some here that may just be under a weight of condemnation and feeling as if they're not even sure they're saved anymore and feeling as if they've just slipped back so far that you'd encourage them tonight, that they would know that despite how they feel, your word says you're not angry at them because your anger for what they've done has been poured out on Christ. He is our peace. We thank you, Lord, by faith tonight we receive that peace that you paid so dearly for and ask you to continue to open the eyes of our understanding that we would truly see what you have done for us in Christ Jesus.